Kinging wave, Fox Beard, Lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Beat your bad left, Edward is an idiot. Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beat me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Monday night, October 10th. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Welcome to Comic Corner. Uh, This is a special show where we talk about, you guessed it, Star Trek comics, and we've got a couple of good ones here for you tonight that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about IDW's 400 Star Trek issue, of course, Star Trek 400, and we're also going to talk about Star Trek Picard, Stargazer issue number two. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, letting you know that we are live. That means you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking right now at 646-668-2433. So put that in your speed dial and give us a call, 646-668-2433. Before we dive in, let me introduce my awesome truck experts. And let's start off with Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. Still looking for fall, but looking forward to talking treks. It's always and we had a good fun, trek, isn't it? And we had a good trek weekend, so... Yes, we did indeed. And we also have with us the trifecta from Portland. We have our very own David. Uh, I don't know if he's the macaroni guy or the donut guy tonight, but he's with us. How you doing, David? I'm pretty good. I'm actually going to be making chicken and rice today. So. <laughs> okay, Sounds he's the good. chicken and rice guy. <laughs> We're just gonna bring, David, I think David's just going to be the food guy, you know? Yeah. He's, he's, he's going to be like Neelix. He's going to be whipping up stuff at the replicator for us. He's, he's the food go. guy. <laughs> <laughs> and also from Portland, we have our very own Eric. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I'm doing quite well, guys. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I these comics, man, I am excited to talk about these. I think there's some fun stuff in here, and I always like these mega issues like issue 400. So let's get it going. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. And also with us from Portland as well, he was the wine guy. He's the toy guy. But no matter what you call him, he's Paul. How you doing, Paul? Hey there, amigo. I'm doing okay. You know, Monday's always a little, uh, one of those uh, precipitous, uncertain days of the week. But uh, emerged from it okay. So, <laughs> and it ready to bust us loose. into. Monday leads us into Tuesday, which delves into Wednesday, which is the eve of Thursday, which is Trek Talking Day. So we're getting there. We're creeping, ever so slowly creeping. But we will make it, I promise. 
we will make it. All right, guys. So we are going to um, talk about – what do you want to talk about? Number 400 first? Yes. Yeah, let's do All it. right, let's talk about 400 first. Does somebody have the uh, – because um, I have it on my Kindle, and I'm running the show through my Kindle, so I can't open up two programs at once without my signal getting choppy. Does someone have the issue in front of them? But of so course. You mean 400? Yeah, yeah, 400. Of course. And kind of get us started. Sure, Paul, do you want to take this one to get us started? Sure, absolutely. So what we've got here is from publisher IDW, their milestone 400th anniversary celebratory issue. This is one that uh, they've been talking about for a while because they're pretty steeped in all things Star Trek. They've been doing it for, gosh, uh, quite a long time. I want to say uh, – Yeah. Yeah. 2007. Yep, 2007. Okay, sorry. I, I guess I talked too slowly there. Sorry, guys. I'll try to pick up the pace if I can. But what you're talking about—it is about, Monday, it, you know. Uh, it sure is. It's feeling more like Monday every minute. Um, basically, what you've got is in this issue number 400, you've got seven different stories from various authors and various artists put together. Some of them are uh, shorter than others. Some of them are more substantial um, than others. But the idea is you want to be able to touch different spokes of the franchise wheels. You've got something that essentially appeals to everyone, regardless of their fondness for, say, old school Kirk stories or newer stories uh, like Discovery. Uh, Also, for folks of various vintages, for curmudgeon-y old uh, folks who are super long in the tooth, as Jim might like to say, or newer, more progressive fans who are open to do things. So it's a lot of different things. So you've got a total of seven episodes. One serves as a prequel to a comic that's coming in the near future, which sounds very interesting. Uh, At least two of these stories were written by Mike Johnson, uh, who's been uh, with IDW writing stories for a while. And one of them that I'm sure we'll spend a little bit of time talking about is written by Will Wheaton. And that's kind of just the framing of uh, introduction, if you like. Does that satisfy everybody's... uh, Need for a frame? I, I think that covers it um, pretty nicely. Um, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to tell you what I thought, what I remember. And if I didn't, if I didn't mention it, that's because it didn't it, – I well, don't remember it because Jim, it wasn't worth yeah. remembering, I guess. Like, it's like, do you, wanna, so, you want me to describe the first one real briefly? Well, let's, go the first, let's go through the stories in order. Sure. Okay, let's yeah. do that. So the first one is basically called Captain's Log. It's written by Chris Eliopoulos, and art is by Luke Sparrow. Uh, this is a, a story that harkens back uh, basically to the original series era. Uh, and do you want a brief summary kind of a thing? Just a oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah sure. okay. So basically it's done as like a Captain's Log entry, and initially it seems like the focus is all on Kirk. Right, You hear a log entry being uh, narrated while you're getting a view of Kirk in various time periods. It starts off with him like towards the end of his tenure in the movie era. It looks like probably akin to, like say, Star Trek VI, that era, uh, in the maroon uniform. And then you've got a lot of different flashbacks uh, throughout original series uh, episodes, as well as the various movies pretty quick it's overall it's less than 10 pages i would say um a lot of it has to do with the uh 
lessons of leadership that somebody towards the transitional point of their career uh, are being exposed to, right? Kind of what makes a good captain is the onus. And we assume as we go through this story that what we're really talking about is kind of at the end of Kirk's career, he looking back on it, kind of swan song like, reflecting on what it is, what were the lessons of uh, command that he learned from his various voyages. But then on the final page, spoiler alert, we realize that this was not coming from Kirk at all. That this captain's log is from Captain Sulu as he's embarking on his maiden voyage with the Excelsior, and that he's wishing fond farewell to the Enterprise crew he used to be with, and that as he sets his uh, warp drive for the Beta Quadrant, he has been reflecting on all of the different lessons of command that he's learned by example from his mentor, Captain Kirk. And that is basically um, from, yeah, that's that's about 10 pages total uh, through there, and that's basically in a nutshell where we go. So kind of a surprise, a little bit of a twist at the end, but more of a meditation on the values exemplified of uh, being a good captain and leadership as uh, uh, demonstrated by Jim Kirk. Yeah, I, that's I what like you got. this one. I, I, well, I like I'm, that one, and I enjoyed it. Absolutely. I'm going to say this is more than just Captain Kirk. This is the heart of the crew, because we talk about all the different people influences, logic, humanity, miracle workers, piloting, listening, a belief in ourselves, how much the, how much the crew was important, and a lot of focus on different episodes. I like hitting up discussing, oh, we're going to hit this episode, this episode, this movie, this movie. What it took for that five-year mission plus. Yeah. I, 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 to me, this was like in Star Trek VI where they sit down with the CNC and they're like, where's Sulu? And Kirk's like, Captain Sulu is on assignment. And I picture this story as, as being right there. You know, this is what Sulu is going on while this is going on. I, I like the way they, they – pigeonholed it in there and it, it was a really reflective uh, really good story that fit really well I mm-hmm. felt with what we know about Star Trek and Sulu and Kirk and the, the movies and the five year mission really liked it really well written moved at a good pace and uh, the surprise ending like you said was Sulu not Kirk at first I thought oh another Kirk story uh, but it wasn't <laughs> so I liked it I liked it a lot. What did you guys mm-hmm. think? What did you think, Eric? Uh, yeah, it was a good story. Uh, interesting. Uh, a artist that I don't I, – I wish that I had done the research to know if we had seen Chris's work before in the Star Trek world, um, but definitely a different style from what we've kind of seen, I think, recently in the past. But that's kind of the nature of these anthology-type books, right? You get a bunch of different artists. You get a bunch of different writers, which I think is kind of fun. So uh, I thought the art fit pretty well with the story, and it was nice to see a lot of familiar faces as the the memories were sort of flowing and the log was flowing. So, yeah, uh, I really like the story. What about you, Paul? Worth reading? 
Yeah, I think so. To me, it felt like uh, kind of the uh, the innocuous appetizer before a main course, if you will. Right. I mean, it's it's it, it didn't really it wasn't really there wasn't really a lot of story per se to it. Really, it was more of just uh, kind of a, a rumination, kind of a reflection about you know what one learned from one's experiences. But there were, and when I say there wasn't a lot of story, what I mean is there wasn't a lot of plot. Right. Basically, it's just it's right. kind of a, a a comfortable rewind for folks or cursory fans to remind them of, of, you know, kind of the background nature of Star Trek. I think it's meant to be comforting for folks just to refamiliarize themselves with it, give them a dose of old school Trek to make them feel that it's OK. You know, rather than very deliberately, it's interesting in this issue didn't begin with any kind of uh, a, a discovery story. Right. They began with the the more you know, familiar uh, uh, old school original series story and then took it from there. Um, but it was okay. I mean, it's very simple. It's, it's kind of nice to have the, uh, those themes that are so strong in terms of like the, the fellowship of the crew that Charles was talking about uh, to have those kind of highlighted and reinforced for everybody. And uh, presumably those should be the kinds of uh, ethos and uh, mindsets that we'd be looking for from leadership and uh, crew dynamics and subsequent stories. So it's kind of a good, it's a stage setter would be how I would describe it. Right. And then we move on to the other stories. So there's a lot of variety to the storytelling. So that's, that's my take on it. But It was pretty good. It was pretty good. How about you, David? What'd you think? Take it or leave it. Put down the chicken and rice. <laughs> I think he's listening right now. Yeah, I think he's eating. Yeah, David, so, okay. David said he was going to be cooking during the show, so he's just listening right now. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll move on to story number two. Take it away, Paul. All right, you got it. So the second one is a little different, a very different art style uh, to it from the first one. Uh, It's called Soldier On, and it's written by uh, Declan Shalvey, arts by Seth Damus, colors by DC Alonzo. And what this one is, is basically it's uh, about the same length as the uh, previous story, eight or nine pages on there. And uh, does someone else want to do a summary, or would you like me to do a summary? Well, who, I don't have the book. Oh, in front. I can't. I I can't open it. So keep going. Okay, I'll jump. I'll jump on this one. Uh, this one's an interesting one because this one's a backstory. This one takes us over to the U.S. USS Rutledge, and even though it's an interesting anime, interesting coloring on this one. This one's one of mine that I really enjoy because this is an O'Brien backstory. This is before O'Brien was on the Enterprise. In fact, this one goes all the way back to the, not Dominion War, but the Cardassian War. We're seeing Tom on the Cardassian War. And... Young, I forgot what his rank was, but young O'Brien's working away and finds somebody finds a Cardassian at one of the communication panels and attempts to stop him. 
and the captain decides that it's O'Brien's prisoner to take care of because they don't want to put him on board the ship until they've got the ship secure. So I'm assuming they're on some kind of base while doing this. And there's a little chit-chat between crew and the captain's talking to O'Brien and kind of giving O'Brien a lot of credit that O'Brien doesn't think he deserves yet. But as he's working away, the Gardassian starts to claim that he's willing to talk to him a little bit and something happens to him. And as we go into the issue, all of a sudden we beam on to Cardassian Command Center. And they're discussing that, okay, there's no evidence that the Federation's using secret, secret equipment. But that really doesn't matter. We really would rather go to war with them anyway. So it kind of shows you a little bit of the political situation going on during that first Cardassian War. And it's not something we've spent a lot of time talking about. We, we did hear a discussion on Lower Decks between Kira and uh, our officer about what went on with them during the Gardassian War. And I think this was another piece of just discussion of kind of what was going on during that war. And there was a lot, lot of problems going on back then. And definitely, I think, is a, shows you how how many problems they had going on during that war. But it was definitely a good issue because we really got to see an early O'Brien before before Enterprise. And I think how much confidence he's gained as he got time being an engineer. What do you what do you think, Eric? Uh, I thought this was a really cool story. Yeah, it was. Uh, I always like uh, O'Brien stories. Uh, I think he's definitely a fan favorite. We get to see uh, Gul Maset. We get to see Elon Garrick. We get to see Anabar Tane. So we get to see plenty of Cardassians here. So if you're a DS9 fan, it's got a real DS9 vibe to it, even though, as Charles said, it's not uh, after he gets on uh, the DS9, after O'Brien gets on the DS9. But it is during that time period that he talks about. Um, and, you know, a couple of interesting things about this story. I mean, they, they use some slander in here. Um, Spoonheads is mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he calls them Cardies. I don't know that that's much of a, a slander as opposed to Spoonheads. But Spoonheads is pretty, like, I, I think that's, like, probably straight-up racist. That would be my guess because um, that's taking somebody's physical, um, you know, features and and weaponizing it against them so that that definitely feels like a racist comment to me so it's interesting to see the o'brien that used to be as opposed to the brian oh and he also kind of mentions in this story you know it'd be nice to have a family so this is pre-keiko as well and he's Uh thinking about the fact that he'd like to have cake uh a person (laughs) he doesn't know it's going to be keiko but (laughs) 
uh, a person in his life. So yeah, and I dug the art style. Uh, like I said, this is a new artist I don't know that we've seen before. This is Seth Demoose, art by Seth Demoose, uh, story written by Declan Shalvey. So um, I dug it. I really, uh, I really dug it. Um, I like the first one, but as uh, uh, as Paul said, it didn't have much of a story. This one had much more of a story, so I actually found it much more compelling and interesting, personally. What about you, Paul? About you? Yeah, Paul. Uh, it was it was all right. I mean, I like O'Brien stuff, right? Um, this reminded me a lot of uh, the Next Gen episode, The Wounded, right, where you get a lot of uh, references to you know his backstory before joining the Enterprise, where he was involved in a lot of battles with the Cardassians. So it sort of fit hand in glove with that episode there. And it's as Eric said. I mean, if you look at The Wounded, you know basically it's he's got that soldier's thing where he's been you know basically programmed to be racist and to have you know real you know awful thoughts about the enemy you've been fighting kind of in the you know corollary to like vietnam or iraq or what have you and so he's really got that that vibe going on there and you can see a little hint of that here i just i found this story a little confusing though because it was so short and then all of a sudden with the cardassians and it just sort of end it really abruptly for me it just didn't seem like there was uh, uh what it was pointing towards i was also not a, I, you know god love everybody everybody's different but this just was not a style of art i related to i found it very kind of chunky and um blocky and it just didn't engage me very well it seemed kind of you know uh, it just wasn't my style of art that's all so yeah not not my favorite of the book you know, I love anything and, involving O'Brien and Deep Space Nine, but this, uh, to me, I would have liked to have seen uh, maybe a further, uh, more of a distant flashback. What was it like when he really was fighting the Cardassians before he, you know, was in uh, more stable Starfleet environments like we see depicted here at this outpost, right? So it, it'd be curious. It, uh, always a good character for sure. I just think this story underserved him a bit. It, it felt a little hastily constructed. I, I agree with you, Paul. I did not like this artwork at all. In fact, if you didn't, if they didn't tell you the name of the character, you would have no idea who they were. The Cardassian looked like a zombie out of The Walking Dead with blisters all over his face. Uh, it didn't look like a Cardassian at all. Uh, Captain Benjamin Waxwell could have been the guy down the street. I mean, the the artist for me was way off on this one. I, I was, didn't like it at all. And the story, like you said, the story kind of starts in the middle and ends in the middle and doesn't really uh, materialize. You know, I, I mean, like you said, this might be leading up to the wounded. That's completely possible. Um, but I, I, this is the one story of this book that I was like, eh, eh. You know? <laughs> the one, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, so uh, Eric. You want you got, do you have the book with you? I do. Why don't you take us in the next one? Okay, uh, I will. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, the first couple of stories are eight pages each. Um, our third story is one page. That's right. It's a one-shot. It's like a episode of Short Treks, um, and it's a Kelvin timeline story. So we got, uh, we got Scotty and his friend there. 
And basically the crux of it is, I, I mean, you can basically spoil it in like a couple of sentences, but what I think is funny about it is that um, Scotty is complaining that things have not been done fast enough, of course. And the big line, the big zinger is no wonder getting this new ship ready is taking forever. Stay tuned. So <laughs> I see this kind of like cute little story as a, uh, as a bridge to future Kelvin timeline movies. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe, or maybe future Perhaps. Kelvin timeline comics at least. Um, or so. future movie. Yeah. Or movie. Yeah. Yeah, so I I don't even know if we can what to even say about this one really. Um, yeah. Well, I'll say what I was gonna say then, which is that I thought it was cute and I thought it was kind of funny because those two have a very comedic relationship with one another, and this is just kind of like a little one shot in the middle of the comic, right? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, this comic is sixty pages. It's thirty eight pages of story and twenty two pages of ads. And so they basically have to put oh, in alternate covers. Sorry, the 22 pages also covers alternate covers. Um, but they kind of, you know, they have to like squeeze for whatever reason. They only are giving us 38 pages of content and 60. And so a one-page story, um, well-drawn and cute and funny. I don't know. I'm not against it. Uh, I thought the art was good. The characters were in character. Uh, yeah. So why don't you do the next one since that one was so short? Why don't you do a longer one? You, you want to do the next well, one? Well, does anybody, does anybody else have any comments about that one in particular? About meanwhile? Yes. To uh, be continued. Just, yeah. It's to, just, I, to me, I was just like, what is the point? It's one page. It's like, <laughs> and, and it's, it's what's, you know, it's just, it, uh, I'd have been, I'd have been like, Mike, thanks. But no, we really need something better. I mean, or, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's a nice idea dude but like uh no or uh, be like let's 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 maybe I mean, the other some of the other stories could have been longer right i mean i it seemed like it 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 felt like filler to me right and you know so harmless i suppose but but at the end of the page you're like huh what's that stay tuned from a one one page continuation stay tuned but i always i hope so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so, you know, but, but much more uh, weightier stuff coming up uh, with the next uh, entry. So so I think that'll be yeah. more, more fun for us all to, to explore. Absolutely. Well, Eric, yeah, you want so, to continue since that was only one page? <laughs> sure. Uh, our next story is called A Matter of Choice and uh, kind of a unique and fun thing for me and I think for everybody here. Um, the story is actually written by fan favorite Will Wheaton. Um, so not only does he star in this particular story, but he is the writer, uh, not co-written, not ghost-written, nothing. So he wrote it. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, we've got art by Joe Eisma, uh, who is also not a name that I recognize. But like I said, um, I'm just kind of going off of recent um, other IDW artists that we've seen and whatnot. So uh, this story is pretty cool. We get uh, a Picard from Picard uh, series in his chateau. And, uh, and the traveler, Will Wheaton himself shows up, Wesley Crusher. Uh, and 
I think uh, without kind of going through and sort of enumerating all of the things that happen throughout the story, I think the important things that I want to mention about this story for me are that um, the story is really about Wesley finding um, uh, Picard to be a source of inspiration and knowledge and advice, um, not only back in the day when he was an ensign on the bridge of the Enterprise D, but also even now that he is an omnipotent being, every once in a while, he needs some advice. Um, and he sort of comes to Picard and um, they have a, a great conversation for me about, um, you know, the vastness of the universe and how it's all kind of out there and stuff. And then uh, in the end, it, to me, it just really comes down to these individual um, moments in time. And in fact, in the, in the middle of this story, there's kind of a montage of moments that we see from TNG, uh, whether it's Wesley in his rainbow uniform talking to, to Worf and um, you know, Worf is telling him how he deals with fear <laughs> as a warrior or whether he's talking to Jordy in one of the many times that he talks to Jordy, um, talking to data, Deanna, uh, all of these people that, that Wesley sought counsel with throughout his time on the enterprise D. And to me, that's really special because knowing at least the type of guy that I think Will Wheaton is based on his television personality, because I've never met the guy, but he seems very authentic and he seems very, kind of like connected to human emotion and that sort of stuff. And so for me to have him write a story about Wesley Crusher seeking uh, counsel with his, his main mentor, you know, Jean-Luc Picard from the Enterprise D days uh, in a story 30 years beyond the days of Enterprise D. Um, and then this story kind of culminates with a little wrap up uh, from our season two, season two, season two, uh, yes. Picard um, finale here, where we have uh, Wesley seeing, and I'm not going to remember which version, but Dodge, but which version, Soji, which version of this, her is this? I can't remember. <laughs> One of the, uh, the, no, the this is the version Soon, of Soon's daughter. Well, that's what I'm saying is I can't remember her name. She's that actress plays yeah. like three or four different act, uh, yeah. characters. And I, I just can't remember the particular name of this character, but that scene where the traveler comes and takes her away as another traveler is the last scene that we get in this story. So um, I really liked this story. Um, I thought the art was more familiar. Um, it captured the, the, the visages fairly well. Um, there were a couple of Picard moments where I thought he looked just a little bit um strange since we're commenting on the art. Uh, uh, but, uh, but overall, I really liked it. The colors were very nice. Um, there were some nice scenes inside his chateau. And then kind of when he and Wesley start talking, there's all this ethereal stuff that happens. So the colors brighten and there's funky shapes in the background and stuff. So I think that, I think that works pretty well. Um, so overall, I really like this story because um, one of my favorite parts about Star Trek are, mentor-mentee relationships. And we have myriad examples of those throughout all of the different Star Trek series. And I think the Wesley Picard one's really interesting and compelling. And I think it deserved just a little bit more detail. So I really like this story. It's probably my favorite one of the book. What about you, Charles? 
I think especially the one that caught me the most with that montage, where you looked at that one thing and you got that spread in there. It's like, okay, talking to War, talking to Riker, talking to Jordy, talking to Deanna, talking to Picard, talking to Beverly, talking to Data. He got a lot of good help and good... Personal information. He got a lot of people he could talk to about what was going on and how to deal with the issues he was dealing with. And he admits the fact that he spent a lot of time getting good good details from John Luke. And really you could see that relationship of how important John Luke was to Wesley and that he's got this important thing, but he's not sure if it's the right choice to make or not. And he turns around and it's like, okay, think about all the people that helped you through your life. And Wesley's like, yeah, you know what? You're, uh, you are right. And it is a good idea for what my plan is. I think it is a good plan. And he goes with it. And to tie in, saying, okay, here's a season finale of Picard issue, ep, episode, or Picard season two, the season finale, where we get to see Wesley. And that was a great tie-in with that. What about you, Jim? Well, I, I really, I, um, excuse me. This was probably my favorite story in this, in this book. Um, I think that Will Wheaton did an excellent job writing it, and I, I, I like the artwork, and I like the, the way they tied it all together when he says to Picard, he says, we're not allowed to communicate with people from our uh, previous lives once we, once we ascend or whatever you call it, to travel or hood. Uh, so he says, you won't remember any of this conversation. So I thought that was a, a cool way of avoiding any canon crap with anybody. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought the artwork was good. I thought Will Wheaton came up with a really good story. It felt like Wesley talking to Picard. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And I, I like the fact that, the, that, number one, the dog was curled up next to Picard when they were in the chateau, you know, because my dog is, like, laying here right next to me right now. So I, I kind of like that little little added thing. What about you, Paul? Yeah, there was a lot to like in this one. Um, I particularly like the art uh, quite a bit. I thought the art was very well done, and I thought um, I thought Wheaton did a great job with the uh, the dialogue. The dialogue, I think, felt really uh, genuine. Uh, it's always good when you see somebody who's an actor who always, I, I think, a lot of times has some of the most key insights to what really makes a character tick, even sometimes more than the than the writers that create them. So I thought that uh, he did a very nice job here. Uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot, I have to just, you know, for my own self, um, the, the Wesley traveler stuff, and I, I'm going to go with uh, Corey, I think is what uh, the daughter was called in season two. Data's daughter. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think so. Right. I want to yeah. believe it's Corey. 
the whole uh, Wesley as Traveler Corey thing is, uh, you know, it's just not one of my favorite parts of, of season two. It was there was a lot of season two stuff I didn't care for, and that was one of them, unfortunately. So I, I diminished my enjoyment a bit just because it's just not something I'm. It's just not a story I'm invested in at all, and. I never saw anything about Corey that made her think that she's the one special person in 400 years that would be worth ascending to this magical, you know, sphere of, of universe manipulation that, that, uh, that Wesley's now in. So I kind of found that a little, you know, it's like, okay, I mean, it's, 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 but you know, but as far as the way it was written and uh, the way it was depicted in the, the art, you know, if that's the story you're getting into, then I think they did a great job. I, you know, I just, I wish it meant more to me individually as, as an audience member. It's just not my, my aspect. I mean, you know, what do you say, Jim? You're always saying that, you know, Star Trek's like a restaurant, right? And there's a million different entrees you're going to love, and some of them you're not going to love. And it's just, you know. My favorite Corey, Star Trek movie is Star Trek Five. <laughs> so, I know. I, I, you've never said that before, Jim. This is a revelation. I've never this told true. on that. It's been my you've secret. never confided <laughs> to anybody that this is your favorite movie. I, but uh, That's right. but yeah, Corey. If I lived to be a hundred and fifty thousand years old, and I never got another Corey story. I'd be good. <laughs> All right. Oh. <laughs> All right. So Charles, you want to take the next story? I think there's another story, right? Uh, I'm going to pass this one over to Paul. <laughs> okay. Okay, man. All, All right, man. Charles. Well, this is another one that is a uh, a Mike Johnson uh, story, and uh, this one is actually uh, delving into discovery territory. So it's meant to be a little bit newer uh, aspect uh, of the story here, and it's involving the the character of Kayla, Kayla Detmer, right? But Kayla Detmer as a young girl. Right. And the whole it's a pretty short story. I would say it's probably about five pages long total. And it is with, you know, it's not meant to denigrate. It is a juvenile story. This is a story for a little kid to 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 get them engaged in the idea of Star Trek. Right. Um, uh, Detmer is probably eh, nine or ten years old being generous here and she's having kind of what feels like a fantasy of her first away mission on a on a moon after her one-man version of the discovery is crashed on the planet and she meets uh, another child of her own uh, age she meets uh, uh Lorel, young Lorel, the matriarch of the uh or the daughter right is she the daughter of Lorel? uh I think so. It's a little confusing, but she's one of the uh, Klingons that we got from Discovery, who have a little bit different vibe to them. Yeah, uh, last survivor of House Takuvma. Yeah, I think she is Lorel. As her as a young child, and they have this adventure running around together, and they argue, and they eat gach, right? And uh, the fact that you know, because uh, it's something gross. Little kids like gross stuff, and a pot full of worms is really gross. And the fact that Detmer eats them. Uh, sort of earns her respect, right, from Lorel, and Lorel actually hands her the the batleth. And even though they're in their little spaceships, they've managed to help each other get off this moon they were marooned on. And they've learned the most important lesson of all: that by cooperating together, they can overcome their differences and be friends. 
it's, it's a kid's story, man. This is unapologetically, you know, with, with great big loud burps after eating the bowl of gawk. It's a, it's a kid's tale, right? And I think for what it is trying to do, I think it does it successfully. I think a lot of times the risk that we have is, you know, you're, you're, you're immersed in Star Trek franchises for, you know, 30 years or more, right? And you think we're all these big adult experts on minutiae and canon and all this stuff, right? And I think it gets, it sometimes is, we take ourselves so seriously. Sometimes it can be, you know, you got to take a break from that. And this is great because this reminds you that, you know, you could be a kid and what would it be like if you read the story and you'd never had been exposed to any Star Trek? You probably might think, hey, you know, I found dad's comic book on there and I looked at it and maybe there's stuff on Star Trek that's really cool. And this is kind of fun. And I think it really would be a neat little story for kids because it's important not to lose connectivity with the inner child inside all of us. I think that's super important uh, to do that. So I think it's a cute, sweet story. Um, I would say that if you were like a, a young person who was really considering, hey, I've heard about this Star Trek prodigy and I'm thinking about watching it, right? This would be a great uh, appetizer to that right because there's a lot of stuff that uh, we're seeing with prodigy is very inviting to younger viewers right and uh and i think this is a great example as well that right alongside prodigy is ways to make these stories not take themselves so freaking seriously and make them uh fun and engaging like a lot of what they do on uh, uh on lower decks granted lower decks is a little bit more adult with their humor than this is to be certain but not taking itself quite so seriously and remembering to have fun as we go through the voyage. So I think they did a really nice job of that. Uh, Eric, what about you, my friend? How did you like this story? Uh, well, um, you know, it's, uh, so I'll, I'll tack just a little bit from the, the kind of description of it as juvenile. And I'll say, I'll say I kind of read it as metaphorical, you know, I mean, the, to me, the big story that actually there is a Star Trek lesson in this story for all of its cutesiness and all of its uh, interesting, like, art style and stuff. Um, and I don't know if these are kid versions of these. I mean, their heads are bigger and that kind of stuff. But I read it as kind of anime just style of art, uh, which is a little bit different from kind of our, our standard, you know, proportion characters and that kind of stuff. But to me, the main message is that in the story – you know, these two characters connect over some food because Laurel doesn't think uh, that Detmer is going to be able to actually eat the gawk, and she does. And so they become fast friends as a result. And then the last page of the story is, you know, Detmer saying, hey, I need some insert Trekno babble here technology. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we could work together? And Laurel's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Let's do it. And so that, that you know, I mean, okay, messages of friendship are – I guess juvenile, but they bear repeating in my mind. Um, I, I didn't, I wasn't offended by the story. I didn't think it was too like kidsy or whatever. I thought it was like kind of a refreshing little breath in the middle of this, um, of this comic. So many of the comics lately have been very, very serious. I mean, mirror war is very serious. And um, a lot of the, you know, stargazer we're going to talk about later is very serious. So this was just a little breath of fresh air. So I liked the story. I thought it was cute. Well said. Absolutely. And I got—I just want to say that I like the story because Laurel is in it, and you can call me mother. Um, I like Laurel. She's one of my favorite Klingons. I like the story. I like seeing Laurel and her little cleave ship, and it was fun. It was a fun story. 
So I, I enjoyed it. How about you, Charles? I was going to say, this kind of reminds me of when different animated series turn around and say, okay, we need something different. Okay, let's do a kid's version. Okay, let's do a, instead of the Justice League, let's do them as teenagers. Muppet babies. Little, uh, <laughs> Muppet yeah, Muppet babies. babies. Uh, <laughs> Scooby-Doo and friends as young kids. I could go on. There are several of them that will do little kids. They'll take the the older ver, older versions of them and make them young kids or babies. It's cute to a point, but it's also very much focused towards the young. And this was cute, but not quite one of the stories I was kind of looking for in this issue. As I can picture these two as young kids ever running into each other and getting along. But, okay, so it's cute. All right, who's going to take the final story? What were you going to say, Paul? I was saying I was just looking at it more as a fantasy. You know, that's kind of how it, how it plays. It's a fun, you know, just little lighthearted thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so on this last story, uh, I would love for one of you guys to take it if you could because I have no idea what's going on. Uh, it's called The Perfect System. It's a uh, – yeah. I mean, Paul, okay. Do you want to take this one? Or, or Charles, I'll jump yeah. into this one. I'll jump into this one. <clears throat> We've got Jackson – Lorenzi and Colin Kelly coming in. Raymond, come on, zoom in. Rosanas. Raymond Rosanas coming in. The art. And we're getting an interesting little perspective of Gary Mitchell. And kind of looking, I think he's taking a moment to take a perspective of his life. And kind of seeing where he's at and his perspective of him against the universe and mankind. Discussing the fact that some of the different groups out there, such as the Vulcans, have their ideology of Idic. And discussions of Terrorite, Andorians kind of thing and how he fits in and all the different captains and people of Star Trek and he goes all the way from all the way back from uh, Enterprise through uh, through DS9 oh I think there is some there through to actually Discovery and trying to figure out how he fits in and all of a sudden, he's going through a metamorphosis. He's going through a change. And the change kind of leads us to a page that says, To be continued, Star Trek number one, coming soon. So I think this leads us into Star Trek issue number one. This is like a, this is like a Star Trek number zero a pre-story into what's coming up. But our new series coming up with several people, including Cisco in it. And I think it's leading up to saying, okay, one of the first people they're going to be dealing with is, is Mitchell. 
And so I think it's going to be an interesting view of like, okay, we're going to be dealing with him. Let's see what we're going to do. Let's see what we're going to have with him. But I think it yeah, it's an interesting way that he's looking at himself as a self-perspective of himself and trying to kind of lead us into that new book, that new series. <clears throat> I can't wait. Yeah. Looking forward to that issue. Looking forward to that issue now. Um, I, this one had your your typical artwork that you would expect from IDW. You know, Gary looked like Gary. Everything was good. I just um, I liked it. I think it's like Charles said. It's a good segue into what's coming. Um, I thought Gary Mitchell was dead. I thought he got crushed under the rock, but apparently um, he is back. So we'll have to well, wait and what, see. What this said to me, man, is because I, I, I I'm just so enthusiastic about this particular story. I, this was easily my favorite one in the whole book, easily. Um, the art was superior. The story was better. It was a lot more, I think, mature, uh, visionary type of sci-fi that we're hoping for. Um, this kind of implies, especially with that big centerfold, right, that basically showing all the different captains rotating around the pupil of you know, Gary Mitchell's eye. This seems to be implying that this is like almost like a metaverse type of situation. And in this version of the cosmos, Gary Mitchell didn't die. Gary Mitchell did not uh, fall underneath that boulder, right? That he exists in some kind of, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys know Watchmen, the uh, comic, the Alan Moore comic at all. Yeah, sure. uh, Yeah. This reminded me of Dr. Manhattan from the Watchmen comics, right? The big blue guy who's able to trans transform himself through time and reality and matter and different, you know, uh, atomic structures throughout history. That's what it looks like is going on here. This is more like Gary Mitchell meets 2001. Like he is about to transfer across galaxies to all these different versions of the characters that we've seen in different spokes of the wheel of the franchise. So fascinating. And then he discombobulates at the end is all of his matter degenerates and he's this skeleton beaming up into some other plane of existence and and then you know the, the fold over shows uh, this look of a, a new version of a new comic uh, that looks like it's going to probably involve at the very least uh, Crusher uh, Cisco and Data and some other like newer Crusher. characters yeah yeah yeah, it looks like oh, a pretty I, I stand corrected. Sorry, Charles. I'll be more specific. I was making sure we got the right crusher in there. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like I, when I say crusher, I think of like an adult. So sorry. I, I but uh, yeah. Anyhow, um, it looked great. It was a terrific story. Um, really, really solid art and intriguing. This is the kind of thing that you, the vibe you want from good science fiction, where you're like, what is going on here? And what does this mean? I, I, at the end of this story, I was absolutely intrigued to see what is, and Gary Mitchell's a great classic Trek character. So, I mean, the idea that we're going to explore that character in some other realm of storytelling with other characters absolutely sank the hook for me. So I was thrilled by it. Really excited to see uh, when they continue on this story. So I thought it was an A+. Plus. What do you think, Eric? Uh, well, I can't, uh, I can't disagree with the fact that the art's really good. Um, I, you know, I mean, the story's obviously leading to something else. I didn't really get what was going on, and I don't think you're supposed to completely get what's going on. Um, 
so yeah, I we'll see where the story goes. I mean, it was to to me, I'm kind of like, I don't know, I'm sort of done with godlike being stories. I think I feel like I've had enough of those in Star Trek. <laughs> I want some other stuff, but you know, here we go with Gary Mitchell. I mean, we've already explored the hell out of Q. We've already explored the hell out of like all of the other godlike beings in the Star Trek comics recently. Gary Mitchell's the only one we haven't really touched too much. So yeah, let's, let's bring on some more Gary Mitchell. Well, they did say that they were going to be bringing back multiple characters from multiple uh, iterations of Star Trek. So Gary Mitchell definitely fits that that mold. So they're not lying. Nope. So, so uh, uh, we have we have eight minutes left. Do you guys want to squeeze in Picard number two into eight minutes, or do you want to do two and three together on the next one? We better do two and three together on the next. Yeah. One. I think it's, Let's I don't think it's uh, enough one. time. Yeah, we'll we'll do we'll do two, we'll we'll move that to the next one, and um, yeah. So Thursday night, guys, we're going to be doing uh, New York City Comic Con coverage. We've got a mid-season trailer for Prodigy that we're going to play for you and discuss. We have a first look at Star Trek Discovery, which we're going to play for you and discuss. And we have the ultimate. We have the Picard New York City Comic Con trailer, which we're going to play for you and discuss. As well as Shatner says, what? Our Star Trek birthdays, our convention calendar, and our fan shout-out. So you definitely want to join us on Thursday night, same bat time. Same bat channel. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, head over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond. Spell it all out. Give us a like. Give us a follow. That way you'll never miss a show. So I'm your most so overall, excellent host, we, Uncle wait, Jim. Hold on, Jim. What, Jim. Before yeah, we, we rush out yeah. the door, man, let's close the book on this sucker. What did we think overall yeah. of uh, issue 400? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, let's, let's, well, we let's have, give it a summary. We've only, we only have, we got four minutes, so make it quick. Yeah, what did we think? Uh, what are you? What overall, Jim? What were your thoughts? Did you like this overall? Do you thought it was a a worthy uh, milestone? Well, I liked the last. Uh, yeah, overall, I I thought the the Scotty story was like what? Um, yeah, overall, I, yeah, I liked it overall. Absolutely, absolutely. I thought it was a, a well well written, good read for a Star Trek and fan. Ch- cover. And Charles, how about you? You you are well versed in comics, sir. What did you think of this? I thought it was a good rendition of four of uh, four hundred issues. I think they did a good well rounded compilation of stories of original stories put together in celebration of four hundred is four hundred issues. Now I think it was well done. A couple of stories I was okay with. But overall I think they did a good issue for celebrating four hundred. Be curious what they might do for five hundred. <laughs> At the rate they're going, yeah. that's going to be sooner than <laughs> more than later. Yeah. They're cranking out yeah, a lot of content, which is great. Uh, Eric, how about you, brother? What did you think of this? It's, I think I heard a lot of enthusiasm from you. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think that there were a lot of uh, parts of this book that I had a lot of enthusiasm for. You know, I think when it comes to these compilation books, this isn't the best one. The best Star Trek compilation book that I've read in the last uh, six, seven years or so. But I think it's a worthy entrant. Uh, I mean, we've got lots and lots of different art styles. We've got a cool Sulu story that, while, you know, as Paul said, doesn't really have much plot to it, but it's kind of a cool reflection 
Um, we've got some like funky new art that we haven't seen in an O'Brien story. We got a little one page, you know, short trek version of a story, which I didn't personally mind. We've got the story that I think everybody loves, which is Will Wheaton, um, a sort of like a story for younger viewers and then a Gary Mitchell covered. So there's a lot of variety here. Um, so I think overall, like my rating would probably be about a, mm, I'll give it about an eight. It's not knocking my socks off, but it was worth the eight bucks I paid for it. I've already read it twice. So I guess that's yeah. good. Right? Yeah, I'd, I'd put I'd put mine right next to you. I think eight sounds about ideal, right? Because um, it's it is. It's like you know, like we were saying, there's something for everybody, right? I mean, from uh, you know, uh, more innocent, you know, uh, younger fair stories to more cosmic and intriguing stories to ones that are more about the you know the you know Picard being the you know epitome of the most current show on there i kind of would have liked to have seen a little bit more of a mature adult discovery story because there's a lot of great discovery characters you know who i think got short shrift but they're you know they're i think they're hopefully not going to stop making discovery comics too but i would have liked to have seen that in there right i I just think that uh there's all kinds of stuff that uh that from that uh chapter of the franchise that I think folks sort of welcomed uh, enthusiastically. So I kind of felt missed out by that, but uh, you can't have everything, but it still was a nice uh, way to kind of get a little bit of something for all the different fans there to celebrate the milestone. Um, it's really fun at the end of this comic. When you go back through, um, there's a, from one of the main editors on there, they does a little write up and kind of, you know, reflecting back on their history of, you know, all the different comics that they've worked on you know, since 2007, right? Uh, it's Rich Handley uh, writes his little reminiscence there. And then there's a, a bunch of ads in the back too. And, and, well, and just that's combined... the thing, Paul, is like 63% of this was story. And what does that leave? 37% was ads. So that was, yeah. I, I just wanted to interject was that like one of the things that I had a problem with was that the whole back of it, like you literally get to the middle of this thing and there's one story left and I wasn't really tracking and I got to the middle, you know where the staples are. Cause when you read comics you know where <laughs> staple is, and you get to the middle and you're like, Oh man, I, I got this new story. start. I must be halfway through the comics. Nope. Yeah. Eight pages left of story and the rest was ads. Yeah. There's probably, I mean, there's some alternate covers that are nice to look at too, but, but still there's like, you know, easily 15, 16 pages of ads there at the end. But, uh, but what I liked about that uh, is that the uh, the Rich Hanley write-up, which is like two pages on here, I mean, it really does take you back and, and make you want to go back and, you know, if you haven't looked at the, a lot of the older IDW comics, they, they did a lot of stuff. And it kind of makes you want to go dig out some of your old back issues on there. I mean, they did so many different things going back to, you know, New Frontier, um, uh, Phase 2 stuff, uh, Assignment Earth things the photo novels that they did i mean so many different uh things all the john byrne runs that they did on stories a lot of good stuff so it's fun to celebrate it um uh, i think that their legacy might be a little richer than the issue that they <laughs> published to celebrate it though so good point well we've but got, overall, i'd, I'd we say have, an a is good we have star trek number one which is going to be an ongoing recurring monthly book coming out and then following we have the the brand new one called Star Trek Defiant with Captain Warp. That's going to be an ongoing uh, monthly book. And then we have Strange New Worlds, the Illyrium incident, or uh, Illyria, something about Illyria. 
which is going to be coming out too. Uh, so we've got a lot of Star Trek books yet to look at. So that's pretty cool. Well, I want to say thank you to Charles for hanging out with us and talking about comics and Comic Corner. Thank you, Charles. Oh, you're welcome. And by the way, I didn't hear my score. Uh, bumping it up to an 8.5 as I enjoyed it. We don't have much to wait for uh, Star Trek Issue 1. According to my Amazon order, it's the end of the month. Wow. So that's right around the corner. Plus, we still got Plus, we got another issue of Stargazer. We got two more issues of Lower Decks. We still got a plot. We got a lot to talk about the comic corner. A lot of comics. And a thank you uh, so much to Paul for hanging out on Truck Talking with us. Thank you, Paul. I, I love comics, man. Every Wednesday sees me make a trip to my local comic shop. And uh, if it's a Star Trek title, they know to put it in my box. So it's, <laughs> the wonderful ritual of uh, you know uh, getting to the, the the shop every week is is it's a bastion of sanity in an uncertain world. Just uh, know you're going to have that little escape with all the new titles and stuff, and it's still very tangible, right? For me, I know a lot of people get their their comics digitally, but I love uh, just being able to walk out with a, a fistful of comics, and it helps you retain that connection to your youth. I love that. So fun stuff and fun to talk about with everybody. The wine guy, the toy guy, the comic guy, you do it all. (laughs) Paul does it all. (laughs) And I also want to say thank you to our very own Eric for hanging out with us and talking about comic books on Comic Corner. Thank you so much, Eric. You bet, guys. Thanks. Have a good night. It's always fun, isn't it? All right, guys, that's the end of our show. Hailing frequency to our close. We'll see you on Thursday night. Just remember, Star Trek fans are the best fans. Good night, everybody. Live long and prosper. Bye, all. Let's see what's out there. Engage. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.